You're listening to episode 39 of the We Got the Runs podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the mind when it comes to running. Welcome to the We Got the Runs podcast. I'm your host, Letty Lundquist, and I invite you to join me as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make every run a good run. Hey runners, welcome to episode 39. How are you doing today, Ryan the Runner? <laughs> <laughs> you having trouble with the two hours this morning? A little bit. How's it going? Fine. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Today we're on part three of the mini-series Guide to Running, and today we're going to talk about the mind, my favorite topic. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. It's interesting how you can be training for something and you're the same build, same weight, same height, same everything as somebody else was training, and for some reason or another, you end up performing better or worse. So I think there's a lot packed into this topic because the mind is such a big component when it comes to training. So how to strengthen your mind game. Exactly. And to be able to do that, we have to first be aware that our mind does play tricks on us every once in a while and consciously decide to stand up to it and do something about it. So becoming aware of any distractions and then people talk about grit all the time. Do you know what the definition of grit is? No, not exactly. All right, so I didn't either. So I looked it up at Dr. Google's and it says grit is perseverance and passion for long-term goals. So the psychological definition of grit contains two components. One is the ability to stick to long-term goals and two is the ability to keep going despite adversity. And I think you and I talk about that all the time when we feel guilty, when we let our kids cry through certain circumstances and let them have a hard moment so that way they can learn at an early age how to deal with hard moments. I think it's good for the kids to learn how to deal with stuff. I think that, you know, when they're young, they are learning, their mind is learning how to put things together. And, and so we get the opportunity to try to make that interaction or that process a good one, constructive one instead of a destructive one in their life. Okay. So there's a professor of psychology and pioneer in grit research, Angela Duckworth, and she revealed that where talent counts once, effort counts twice. So she came up with a formula where it says talent times effort is a skill and then skill times effort is an achievement. So she's saying when you apply effort to a talent, you get a skill. And when you apply effort to a skill, you get an achievement. So without effort, your talent is just untapped potential. It's interesting. Makes sense, right? Yeah. It's kind of neat. Yeah. So in order to grow your grit, there's five ways that are suggested on how to do that. Number one is you have to pursue an interest of yours. You have to find something that really fascinates you because if you don't, if you just do anything, then you don't have the drive to continue improve in that. Then number two is to practice, practice, practice and get a little bit better every day. Number three is connect to a higher purpose. So basically ask yourself how what you're doing is helping the greater good or other people, because that again 
makes you want to pursue this goal a little bit more. Then number four is you have to cultivate hope. Um, you have to remove your inaccurate and limiting beliefs. For example, if I say, oh, I can never run a sub 20 minute 5k, then that's in my mind and I've established that. But if I keep saying, you know, there is a chance that I can do it, then I can actually potentially do it. Obviously, within reason, right? I'm not going to be Kipchoge and say, hey, I'm going to break the two-hour marathon barrier. But you know what I mean. And then number five is you surround yourself with gritty people. There's a saying in Spanish, it's, dime con quien andas y te digo quien eres. It means, tell me who you're hanging out with and that's who you are. So if you surround yourself with the people that you want to be like, then you end up being just like that. I think also a lot of people put talent at a really high portion of your previous equation, whereas effort, as she alluded to, is probably a, a larger percentage of your eventual skill, I guess. And then again, effort gets multiplied again to get to achievement. So I think that that's neat because the effort is something that people can do, especially with the right mental game. Can you give an example? A good example is like you, you know, you thought that you were at a relative ceiling of your marathon speed, but then realized afterwards, you know, again, a lot of it, you know, part of it was related to training, but that training, I think, opened up your mind to ability and allowed you to, you know, to get past that ceiling. And also one of your previous podcasts with the book, Alex Hutchinson. So he was saying kind of a similar thing, like he was mistimed one time and that probably got him past that mental barrier. And then all of a sudden he was faster. So he was always capable of doing it, but his mind was holding him back. That's so true. Yeah, no, I agree. There is a lot of uh, situation where we think we can't achieve something because it's genetic or talent, but then... If we really apply ourselves, it's amazing how close we can actually get to those. So basically, 80% of success, you can probably say, is just showing up. And with that in mind, I want to introduce my speaker, Jill Angie. She has a podcast of her own. It's called Not the Average Runner. And she's also a coach. And uh, she's super motivational. But I'll have her introduce herself in her own words. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Jill Angie. All right. So I'm here with Jill Angie. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, so are we. So for the listeners that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, absolutely. So um, my name is Jill Angie, and I'm the host of the Not Your Average Runner podcast. And my whole goal with that podcast is to help primarily women. Um, there are some, some dudes that listen, but it's mostly women who have never really felt athletic uh, to start running and feel good about themselves, feel confident in their bodies, and really um, just kind of like up-level their whole lives through running. It's a, it's a bold mission, <laughs> um, but really that's what I, that's what I do. And so I myself, um, I'm not your average runner. Like I'm not such uh, I don't look like the typical runner. I don't have a very traditional runner's body, uh, but I learned, you know, from trying to trying in my twenties to 
run and, and I wanted to lose weight. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to run. Cause that burns a lot of calories. And I sucked at it. <laughs> so <laughs> bad at running. And, um, you know, eventually I figured out how to do it in a way that felt really, really good to my body. Um, I got a lot of mental benefits from it. And then I was kind of like, Hey, wait a minute, maybe I should help other people do this. So that's, so that's where we are today. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, the way that I found you was that, um, I listened to your podcast and I really, really liked about it that you talk about the mental game. So I want you to tell our listeners about this. Um, why is it important? What does it mean to have a strong mental game and, um, where does this all come into together for running? Yeah, I, so My belief is that running is probably 80 to 90% mental. And I think most people believe, oh, I just need the perfect training plan, or I just need to be faster, and then I'll be so good at it. But really, like our bodies are actually capable of a lot more than we realize. And the physical training, you know, the, the sprints and the long run miles and the strength training is really, really important. Don't get me wrong, but I kind of believe you could be the most talented athlete in the world. And if your brain is telling you a lot of BS, like, Oh, you're not very good at this, right. You're not going to go very far. So, you know, you get your brain where it needs to be thought wise, get your mindset where it needs to be. And then the running, it becomes a lot easier after that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jill, you have a podcast called Not Your Average Runner, and you're a running coach, and you are a little bit um, different than the average running coach as well, because a lot of your training also goes to the mental training for runners. Can you explain a little bit um, what this is about and how you can help us? Because a lot of us have running coaches and training plans, but the one thing that we're lacking is having the mental part down 100%. Yeah. So great question. Um, you know, when, when I started running and when I started getting into athletics, especially as a plus size person, um, I, first of all, I didn't think that I qualified to have a running coach because I was like, Oh, like I'm not a real athlete, but, um, really I struggled so much more with the mental stuff that even when I did work with trainers, they were like, I don't know how to, help you with that. Right. Like, uh, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I'm just really struggling to stay motivated or, you know, to, to feel like I'm making progress. And they're like, I don't just get up and do it. Right. Like <laughs> they couldn't relate to the mental struggles that I had. And I kind of recognized as I went through my own journey that, you know, there's a lot of really amazing coaches out there, but what they teach you is the specific physical skills and the, these are the miles you should be running. And these are the types of paces and like the different drills and the strength training. And that's all great, but nobody is teaching you how to deal with the inner mean girl in your head that says, 
that you can't do this. Nobody's telling you, teaching you how to motivate yourself when life feels overwhelming or when you're just like, you know, there'd be times when my, my muscles would just hurt so much. And I'd think I must be doing something wrong because I'm trying to do all the things my coach tells me. And I didn't know how to advocate for myself and just speak up and say like, Hey, I think we're pushing too hard or right. Like nobody teaches you how to do that stuff. So that's kind of the kind of coach that I am is I, I give you plenty of the running stuff, but really we focus hard. Um, I focus hard with all of my clients on is your brain where it needs to be so that you can stick with your training, stay motivated and, and feel good about it. Like, are you getting out of your running what you want to, instead of just kind of beating yourself up for not being the way you think you should be? That's brilliant. That, Thank does you that for your question. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, I wanted to emphasize that because um, there's a lot of running coaches and you're probably the only one that I heard of that really puts a lot of thought into that type of stuff. Yeah. Which also yeah. makes your podcasts awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a different than, uh, than a lot of the others out there. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Why is having a strong mental game so important? And what are some great mental benefits that come from running? So a strong mental game, it, to me, it means that you can recognize the BS excuses when they come up, right? When you're out for a run and, you know, suddenly your legs are really tired and your brain starts saying like, oh, you should just give up. You sh you're not very good at this. You're not getting any better. Like we all have heard those voices. If you have a strong mental game, you hear those voices and you're like, yeah, so what? Let's go. Let's keep going. And you can, you can kind of like deal with them instead of believing them. Cause I think too often we think to ourselves that we can't do something when actually we are very physically capable of it. And it's just that our, our mindset is, is blocking us. Um, and I think like, so I'm trying to think of like what, what my clients say to me most often. I think that the most common thing I hear from them is that they're afraid to fail that, you know, okay, They've been running for a little while and maybe they want to sign up for a half marathon. And the first thing that comes into their mind is, oh, I would never be able to do that. And then they start thinking about what if I try and I fail? What if I, you know, don't finish the race? I'm going to be so embarrassed. I'm going to be so disappointed. I'm going to be so ashamed. Everybody's going to know and think I'm a fraud. Right. And so you know, we have all those thoughts and we sort of pre-experience the emotions <laughs> and then we don't even try. We're like, oh, I'm not even going to bother because I'm, I'll probably fail and I don't think I could stand it. And then what you miss out on is, well, actually, what if you succeeded? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you kind of like deny yourself the chance to have the experience of succeeding and you deny yourself the experience of the training. And that's really where, like, that's where your mental game gets really strong, right? Your mental, you don't just like wake up one day and you're like, your brain is just like, all right, let's go. Like, no, you got to practice that. And the running is where you get to practice, you know, bringing those, bringing that strength to your mindset so that you can do harder and harder things.
Okay, so Jill, where does this whole mental game start? Uh, excellent question. And I'm actually trained as a, I'm a certified master life coach, which is why I think that, um, you know, I'm so the mental game is like so important to me <laughs> because the framework that I learned, I, I trained at the life coach school with Brooke Castillo and the framework that I learned there and that I apply everywhere in my life, not just to running is that, you know, there are circumstances in the world right? There are the facts there of our lives, right? Um, and then we have thoughts and opinions and beliefs about those facts and those thoughts that we have, those opinions that we have, those beliefs, those judgments, those evaluations, right? That we think in our minds uh, create emotions for us. And those emotions drive our actions and those ex- actions create our results, So a great example of this is, you know, if you're in the middle of a 5k, right, that's your circumstance, you're at mile two and a half of a 5k, right? And you have a thought, I don't think I can finish, right? And your feeling, your emotion is going to be maybe disappointed or embarrassed or frustrated. And when you're feeling disappointed or embarrassed or frustrated, the action you take is usually not to run harder right? It's not to go all in, but it's rather to like, oh, maybe I'm going to start walking or maybe I'll just call an Uber, (laughs) right? To bring me to the finish line, right? The action that we take when we feel those, those emotions like disappointment don't drive us to try harder. They drive us to, to kind of, they block us, right? From taking the action that we want. And then of course the result is you don't finish the race, right? So, you know, you're at mile two and a half. And if you think the thought, I don't think I can finish, right? Like feel disappointed, you know, start walking or maybe drop out and then you prove yourself right. And so, you know, we can't really, we can change some of the circumstances in our lives, but there's a lot of circumstances we can't change, right? We can't change who's president. We can't change, you know, the weather. We can't change, you know, our, our, who we're born to, like, we can't change a lot of circumstances in our lives. Um, but we can change how we think about everything and using this framework, you know, with thoughts, creating feelings, feelings, driving actions and actions, driving results, your thoughts, the way you think about everything in your world is what is going to create the vast majority of the results in your life. And so that's like a, that's a pretty powerful thing. Cause it's really the only thing that we have that we can control. We can control literally nothing but our own thinking. And I mean, this is kind of a weird example, but I think of like prisoners of war that make it out the other side and they they live through these like terrible, terrible conditions and they come out the other side and, and people are like, how did you live through it? And they're like, well, the only thing I could control was my thinking. So I like worked really hard on my brain. Right? I worked really hard on how I wanted to think about the situation I was in. And if you, if your thought about, you know, being imprisoned is my life is over, right? Like your result is not going to be the same as somebody who is thinking much, much differently about it. That's a very weird example, but <laughs> no, I think um, it's great because it really, you know, explains this whole concept. So then we have to control or we have to change how we think. And how do we do that? <laughs> And that is like the million dollar question. I think that, um, I mean, 
changing how you think, sometimes it takes a lot of practice. A lot of times it takes a lot of practice. And I think it starts with noticing what you're thinking. And I have all of my clients um, do what's known as a thought download on a daily basis. And they write down all the thoughts that are going on in their mind. And then they separate out the stories from the facts, right? Usually like 90% of it is story, 10% of it is fact. And, um, and then you can like, look at how you're thinking and say, okay, this is where my brain is at today. Is this going to get me the result that I want or not? And then you can start picking and choosing like what pieces of your thinking do you want to work on? And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they're like, okay, well, I keep thinking this is too hard for me. And when I think that thought, I feel, you know, overwhelmed. And when I feel overwhelmed, I don't train. And then of course the result is it is too hard for me. I'm like, okay. So then they think to themselves, all right, well, I'm just going to create a new thought. I'm going to start believing that this is something I'm capable of. And then the next day they wake up they get ready to do their training and their brain says, this is too hard for you. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm broken. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because we like your brain loves to do things repetitively. Your brain likes to be able to, um, you know, take, take processes and turn them into like little subroutines and delegate them to the unconscious part of your brain. And so that like thought patterns that we have about ourselves, like I'm not a good runner or, you know, I'm not athletic or like whatever, you know, thought patterns that you have about yourself, like you've thought them so much that they become habitual and your brain is just sort of like made them a little subroutine. And then we just believe it. We're like, oh, I'm just not a good runner. Right. And then we think that's factual. So it takes a while to undo that. So you have to choose on purpose over and over and over again. That is how you change your thinking is you recognize what's not working for you, decide what you want to believe instead, and then actively choose it over and over and over. And you're going to suck at it in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you were saying part of this is you're doing is a thought download and you're putting something down and then you differentiate of what is a fact and what is not a fact. Yeah. And a a great example of that. And most of the, you know, most of the uh, clients that I work with, not all, but a lot of them are plus size women. Cause I, I started working with the plus size community because I'm plus size and I feel like nobody's helping these women start running. So, um, but, but a lot of the thought patterns that they have are about their weight. Right. And so for example, if you get on the scale in the morning and the scale says you weigh 252 pounds, And you think, oh, I'm fat. And there's this like belief that, oh, the, the I'm fat is the fact, but it's really not right. Like the fact is the number, it's the data, um, on the scale. And then you have a belief that that makes you a fat person. And when you think, you know, I'm fat, I don't know, like you could have a lot of different thoughts about it. A lot of people, um, the emotion that they have when they think I'm fat is shame, right? And then when you're ashamed, your self-care kind of goes to, you know, goes to hell, (laughs) right? We don't like take great care of ourselves. When we feel shamed, we hide um, and, and we don't end up really getting the results that we want out of life, out of our lives. But if you can recognize that like I'm fat is just a thought 
it's just a belief that you have. It's just what you're making that number on the scale mean. Then you can decide like, is it really helpful for me to say that to myself over and over again? Or is there something else that I want to say that will get me a different result? That's brilliant. I love this. This is so helpful for you know any kind of concept, your scale, your ability to run a certain time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It applies really well to money as well. You know, if you like people who look at their bank account and they see a certain number and they make it mean that like, oh, I'm running out of money or I don't have enough money. I'm like, I don't know. Like when you say that to yourself, you feel kind of panicky. And like the most thing, the thing what I do when I feel panicky is usually to head on over to Amazon and start shopping. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's fascinating how we create the exact result we're trying to avoid when we have that sort of negative thinking about our circumstances. You have a concept that you talked about in one of your podcasts that really resonated with me. And it was um, something about not calling things that we feel are difficult, hard things, quote unquote, but rather changing your thinking about them. Can you explain this concept to our listeners and how um, that benefits us? Yes. And I I love this concept. And I actually named the podcast, Stop Saying You Can Do Hard Things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) which was like a little bit controversial, but I think like there's, you know, and if you're on Instagram or you're on Facebook and you scroll through and you see all of these like different memes that are supposed to be inspirational. And one of the things that people say to themselves is I can do hard things. And I think for some people that is, is really inspirational, right? When you're facing down a run and you're not sure if you can you know, do that 10 mile run. And you're like, wow, I've never gone that far. And you're like, I could do hard things. Let's do this. Um, I think that can be super helpful, but what I think happens is when you say to yourself that something is going to be difficult, that it's going to be really hard, you're sort of grooming your brain to fail in advance. Like it's sort of that slippery slope from believing that you can look at everything and just say, oh, this is a new thing I'm going to try, right? And you know what? I might fail. I might not, but I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give it everything I've got and I'm going to see what happens because the worst thing, this is, this is like what people don't really understand. The worst thing that can happen is that you have an emotion, right? Like we think the worst thing that can happen is that we fail and the failure is not the real problem. The problem is what we make that failure mean about ourselves and then the emotions that we have. Basically, you're telling people to not call something hard. We'd rather call it something that's new or that we haven't conquered yet. And then just prep our emotions or prep ourselves for whatever emotion we feel and be okay with that rather than thinking this is my identity. Yeah. Oh, beautifully said. I think I need for you to come and write for my show (laughs) because that was so beautifully and succinctly said. And it's better to even just have tried than not having gotten off the couch to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's a great point because the making the attempt to do something, you grow from that. Sitting on the couch saying, that's not something that I can handle. You don't grow from that. You just get better at avoiding things, but trying something, even if you know, you might fail, 
first of all, you might succeed, but if you fail, you learn, you get stronger, you evolve. And I kind of feel like that's the whole point of us being on this planet in the first place. (laughs) So what are some exercises to, or tips, you know, just when it comes to the regular getting out of the door to start your run, uh, if you're not feeling like it, how can we I guess, I guess you kind of answer that, right? If you look outside and you're feeling tired, you can say, oh, I only slept five hours, but it doesn't mean I'm tired, right? Yeah. Or, you know, it says it's 40 degrees outside. <laughs> for yeah. some people, that's not cold. I <laughs> so know, for kinda... me, I'm like, woo, 40 degrees, that's warm. It's like 25 degrees here today. But, um, <laughs> but right, but for some people, that's like a pretty big deal. It's really cold. So, um. I have, so I have a tool that I use that I teach to all of my uh, clients. It's called the minimum baseline. And basically the minimum baseline is the least amount of the exercise or the activity that you know you'll do without any brain drama, without like any like complaining. And for some people that's like five minutes, right? And so I, I always say that like, know what your minimum baseline is, know the amount of running that your mind won't say, this is too hard. This is too much. I'm too tired that your mind won't have all the excuses for. And then just, just do that and just say like, okay, my minimum baseline is five minutes of running, right? That's all I have to do. And then just go do that nine times out of 10. Once you get started, you keep going. Most people do, but you have permission to stop. If you know, you get to that five minutes and you're like, yep, this is, I'm not feeling this today, right? You have that permission to stop. And what this does, it doesn't necessarily move your fitness forward because the point of this minimum baseline, it's a mental technique. It helps you maintain the consistency in your routine of getting up, doing the thing that you said you were going to do. It helps you cement your identity as somebody who is a, um, who is a runner, who's an athlete. And it just, it helps you feel like, oh yeah, I can depend on myself to do what I say I'm going to do. And so, so, you know, for some folks who do the minimum baseline, they're like, well, my minimum baseline is two miles because I want to make sure that I'm going to get something out of the activity. I'm not going to, it's not worth my time if I don't do something that like increases my fitness. And, and I completely disagree with that. I think that it's worth your time for the simple fact that, you know, doing the minimum baseline causes you to have those conversations in your brain. I said, I was going to do this. Here's what I'm going to do. It reinforces that identity as an athlete or as somebody who keeps their commitment. um, And it keeps the habit going of exercising. And the whole imposter syndrome, I want to talk to you about that one too. What can we do to change that thinking of having this imposter syndrome of being a runner? Yeah, it's really common. Um, And I think, first of all, if you run, you're a runner, right? Like that's, I, I just like to say that up front, if you run, you're a runner. And, you know, it's what you make the word runner mean. And so... I think a lot of people do what you do is they, when they think the word runner, 
they're sort of subconsciously putting elite in front of the the front of it or professional or um, all that stuff. But if you look run or running, if you look that word up in the dictionary, there's no speed associated with it. It doesn't say if you're, if you're going, uh, a, a eight minute mile or, or faster, you're a runner. If it's a 12 minute mile to an eight minute mile, you're a jogger. Like it doesn't say that it's just like running is literally a gate. It's a, it's a slightly different way than walking of moving your body in which your, um, feet are both off the ground simultaneously for a brief period in time, right. Versus walking where one foot is always touching the ground. And like, that's the difference between walking and running. And so I'm kind of like, oh, okay, well, if that's the difference between walking and running, then I'm a runner, like, boom, done. (laughs) So I think a lot of it is just sort of dismantling your own, you know, your own belief system about yourself and how, you know, I think if you're, if you're unwilling to call yourself a runner, cause you think, oh, I have to be this fast or I have to be elite and Otherwise I'm just sort of jogging around, right? Like that's, that's your own belief system of yourself thinking that you're not worthy or thinking that, you know, you're not good enough. And I think that's where the work is. So I just say, just call yourself a runner because you are, (laughs) that's I'm speaking to everybody, whether you do like a, a run walk approach or whether you, you know, are a slow runner or fat, like whatever it is, whether you run five Ks, whether you run ultra marathons, like if you run, you're a runner. So I'm just, I'm just giving everybody permission to call themselves that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So Jill, thank you. Um, are there any other tips that you want to give our community? Cause I know you have so much knowledge. Um, I think like, it, I think just get, go easy on yourself. <laughs> That's really like the best tip I can get is give you is just go easy on yourself and allow yourself to suck at running, especially if you're a beginner, just allow yourself to suck at it and keep doing it, right? Don't expect perfection. Don't expect yourself to be amazing. Like just, just do it for the joy of it. And so I think that's really for me. Somebody asked me once why I run and I was like, joy and confidence, that's it, right? There's no other, (laughs) I mean, yeah, there's a lot of beautiful physical benefits that you get from running, but I think we get so much mentally from it that, even if you think you are the worst runner on the planet, you still get something out of it. So, you know, go easy on yourselves. <laughs> so how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more? Where can they find you? Um, okay. So my podcast is called the Not Your Average Runner podcast. It's on every podcast app. It's on Spotify. It's on Amazon Prime. I think it might even be on Audible at this point, which is insane to me. Um, but it's just called the Not Your Average Runner podcast. Um, so that's a great place to start if you want to learn a lot of the mindset tricks that I teach. Um, you, I do have a free 30-day training plan that anybody can download. And you just go to notyouraveragerunner.com slash start running. And uh, it's right there. 
And um, I do have a free Facebook group on Facebook called the official Not Your Average Runner podcast community. There are a couple other group like groups out there that people have formed, but this one says official Not Your Average Runner podcast community. And that that's like actually a big group. It's all women. Um, so if you're a gentleman um, or if you identify as male, um, it's probably not the group for you. <laughs> Um, but if you're female or identify as female, it is definitely the group for you. Um, because we do a lot of talk in there just about, you know, kind of being slower runners and, uh, cheering each other on. It's pretty awesome. So that's probably where I'd start. And you can find me on Instagram, of course, at not your average runner. Thank you so much, Jill. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jill. That was a super informative podcast, wonderful tips and really cool exercises for our minds. And I hope that all you listeners realize that running really is just 80, 90% mental. And I briefly want to just mention one more concept. Tim Noakes, a doctor and author of Lore of Running, has long argued that the brain allows or limits endurance performance rather than the body. His concept of the central governor theory indicates that the brain is there to look after you and make sure that whatever you do is just so you can do it safely, as he puts it. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that, again, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier with, you know, learning things as a kid, even, you know, we were talking about our kids, but your brain and your body interact in the sense that once your body senses you are reaching a, a theoretical limit, then your brain tells you to, you know, stay below that limit so you don't exceed it and, and hurt yourself. But there's a lot of um, variability to that limit. And I think the mind game or training the mind helps you figure out what those limits are. It would be analogous or similar to say, free diving or something like that, too, or holding your breath underwater, because you can actually hold your breath for quite a while, but your mind tells you you need to take a breath. And if you go through training or courses in free diving, you can achieve a much longer breath hold, and people can go quite a bit, you know, without taking a breath more than they would think. That's interesting. We should, we should try that just kind of as a part of this exercise of how to train our minds. It'd be something to try out, yeah. I wonder if they have courses here. <laughs> All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you got something out of value from this. And until next time, have a good week of running. Thanks for listening. For training tips, previous podcast episodes, and fun merchandise for runners, please check out our website at wgtr.us. That's wgtr.us. And as always, have a wonderful week of running.